Hi everyone, it's Liz from Witchy Bites. Um, just me this month. Uh, Hanny's been quite busy with job applications and so she hasn't had time to research. So I've also been sick, so I'm still sounding a bit gross and coughy. Thankfully, it's not COVID or influenza, which is going around just viral, but it's hit me pretty hard. So we didn't want to not do an episode uh, and leave leave it for a month. So we just thought we'd go with um, just me recording this month. Yay, let's, let's get into it. This is episode 38 and I am talking to you about Hawthorne. So Hawthorne is a really special plant to me and like I just, I love it. Like it's, um, it's about to bloom, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it in this episode. And it's a pretty significant plant for me in terms of my Beltane or Beltana celebrations. So uh, yeah, so I'm pretty excited to be talking about that with you today, even if my voice doesn't let me give off that excitement. So in Tasmania, we have one main species of hawthorn. It's Crataegus monogyna, which is um, pretty much a common a common hawthorn. It's known as the common hawthorn. It belongs to the family Rosaceae, and it is native to Europe, northwestern Africa, and West Asia. Hawthorn thrives like it does so well in temperate regions, and so it's unsurprising that Hawthorn has become naturalized into the beautiful Tasmanian landscape. It's also become naturalized in other states of Australia, and I'm sure it's been naturalized in many other countries in the world as well. Ah, see, that sexy voice is going. You should have heard me a few a few days ago. It was about four octaves lower. Oh, would have made for a pretty sexy episode, I think. So Hawthorne was introduced into Tasmania sometime before 1845 and certainly where I grew up, which is the Northern Midlands, which is the traditional lands of the Panina people. It's got a really large amount of Hawthorne hedgerows. Uh, I was reading one article that said that there were 10,000 kilometres of hedgerows in Tasmania back in the day. So it's now whittled down to just about 3,000, but still, that is a lot of hawthorn hedging to be happening around the state. So it's certainly a plant that you can find if you want to use it in your practice. So part of the reason why it was so popular in the in the mid-1800s was because, you know, wire and fencing and supplies were in short supply. So being able to have access to Hawthorne, which is a very naturally thorny plant, allowed farmers to set up paddocks, like these barriers with fencing, and I say that with quotes, using Hawthorne hedges to keep livestock in. Yeah, so for me, like, growing up with Hawthorne is, like, almost like part of my identity. It's certainly... It is part of my childhood identity, which I have now carried into my adult life. I remember, <laughs> probably not so fondly now, the Hawthorne hedges uh, destroying my first bike ride on the farm. So I grew up on a, a small farm, 126-acre hobby farm with my, my family. Yeah, and so, like, it was outlined with Hawthorne hedges 
in certain spaces and so I was riding my bike down the driveway and a thorn got into my tire and took me out and I think it took my dad like over a year to fix it so that was a bit of a disaster (laughs) sort of naming and shaming my dad in that moment (laughs) I mean when you have like eight kids it's probably not surprising that you that you let things go a little bit and then I have like this really fond memory with this plant that I just it's so important to me because my grandmother they used to live like maybe like a kilometer a kilometer down the road and the laneway down to their home was covered with hawthorn hedgerows as well and actually a lot of their paddocks were my grandmother uh, I remember her taking us to pick berries so it must have been late autumn maybe closer to winter and um, we would and we made jewelry with them so that must have been quite soft so yeah quite quite late into the season so I kind of have this like emotional attachment with this plant so I uh, I think that that adds well into the witchcraft heart related aspects of Hawthorne so and protection and all that kind of things which I'll talk about when I get down to that section I think the other thing that that really came up for me in the last year is my grandmother was coming to me a lot in my in my thoughts. I was doing some work, so doing obod as I've mentioned before, the order of bards, obates, and druids. And there was a ceremony I had to do, and leading up to it, my grandmother came through quite a lot, and and it made me really think about her. So I also have this like ancestral connection with Hawthorne, with my with my at least the father's mother's line. And I think that's really, really important. And especially since like, ah, we'll get into that into a second, but it also helped that the berries are red around her birthday. So I think that also gives that extra link, but it's very personal and not very much to do with actual Hawthorne itself. So one of the things I love about Hawthorne is that it actually shows so many seasonal markers. Like you can mark your year out using it. Maybe you can make it fall within some of the seasonal um, celebrations on the wheel of the year, but generally it's like a seasonal marker. So where I live in the Huon Valley, the Hawthorne's now just starting to bud with leaves. We're a little bit later because we're slightly cooler being in a, in a valley. And so that's starting to go off. They're about to explode with leaves, which is really, really exciting. And then in October, the flowers start. So... So this is where it starts to have that Beltane, Beltanar sort of aspect, ceremonial aspect for me. We have this like wives tale, old wives tale for Tasmania, which is don't plant your tomatoes until after show day, which is late, late um, October. Uh, And that's because of the risk of frost has supposedly passed after show day. And I've heard the same thing said about Hawthorne, which I may have mentioned in an, in another episode, uh, where if Hawthorne starts to flower quite profusely, it's a sign that the risk of frost has passed. So Hawthorne will supposedly only flower once the risk of frost has passed. Unfortunately, that's a big lie. Um, <laughs> I have personally uh, seen it frost quite heavily like a week later after it's just gone bang so if you do live here wait until the end wait for show day go with that old wife's tale (laughs) it might be safer 
So then the next part of the seasonal observation is uh, hawthorn berries start to redden. They just start to get a little bit of a red tinge around late January, February. Uh, but they're not actually the berries, the haw berries. I love saying haw, it's great. <laughs> haw, H-A-W, if you haven't seen it written before. Not not the other version. I've also heard another another old wives' tale about that in that the berries will only ripen after the first frost or the berries are ripe, like good for picking after the first frost. So we tend to have frosts around maybe late March, but generally April, May. So that's kind of the time you're thinking about when you'll be picking your berries. And also in February, um, we have what's called lemus growth. And that's like a second flush. So I talked about this in the Lamas episode way back, back a few years ago now. It's been a while. So it's where like certain plants, they'll have like a second flush of new growth of leaves. So there's one in spring, which is happening about now. And then there's going to be one again in Lamas for some of the plants. Not all of them do it, but, you know, Hawthorne's one that I've seen it on older plants too, but generally it's younger plants. And yeah, those leaves are edible, so you can make salads with them if you want to as well. So if you're into foraging, that's a, a really nice option. And especially since like Hawthorne is so accessible here, 3,000 kilometers worth. The other, the other like wonderful seasonal observation that I just love about Hawthorne is the, the fact that like as you're getting closer to winter and like we're talking June, like the leaves do fall quite, quite late on Hawthorne. I've noticed in my area, at least it might be different for you. And that's that like the leaves fall and this, the branches, like they're quite gray with bits of brown and they're like lining like the landscape and you can just see these really dark red berries. And like, especially when like the weather at this time for us is, can be quite foggy and it just brings like that real feeling of high gear of like, of like comfort living and, and, um, and like a feel into the season of like, you know, winding down and, and getting ready for, for the winter essentially. So like the whole symbolism around hawthorn in your environment is stunning. So if you do have hawthorn, now there are many different species, but in Tasmania, they really only introduced one. There's about 200, I think I saw on Wikipedia. So yeah, so anything I say about hawthorn and it's, edibility of it do your research because like I only know for this one version you know you got to be careful about what you're putting in your body if you don't know and never had it before so yeah uh look at Hawthorne see how it interacts in your landscapes see how it fits with your festivals and and see if it becomes like this really significant plant for for you um so Hawthorne facts what is it about Hawthorne so common names can include may blossom which is funny for us because it blossoms in October to December. Um, Maythorn, quickthorn, whitethorn, motherdy, haw, common hawthorn, hawberry, one seed hawthorn or single seed hawthorn. Uh, it's a deciduous shrubs. As I mentioned, it loses its leaves and it can grow up to 10 metres. I did see some varying numbers of this. Like my parents, again, as I mentioned, they have hedgerows, but they also have like one standalone tree in, in a paddock, which I've had a pretty powerful uh, lamas ritual near. So uh, again, it's just one of those really symbolic plants for me. Notable features are those bloody <laughs> thorns on the branches and stems. They're pretty much at the end of the stems. 
and um, and branches. So they they can like if they scratch you, they can hurt. Um, some people actually have allergies to them, so again, do check that you're not allergic to them. I certainly get like that um, stinging sensation when I get scratched by one. And then of course it's got those small red fruits or hawberries. They're not really fruits, but they no, they get called fruit that come out in autumn. Um, flowers can be white, white with pink tinge or even pink. And they have those like really beautiful, like standing stamens that just really, really pop out. So, uh, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty hard to miss in terms of, they're pretty clear to identify, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So the word hawthorn comes from the word haw, an old English word meaning hedge. So it's, um, it's it's pretty self-named, I think. One of the really cool things about Hawthorne is even though it's been naturalised into Tasmania, some of our native animals, so we have a lot of introduced animals here because, you know, the way that colonisation works or has worked um, and not being wary about pest species. So we have blackbirds and all those kind of things that you do see in, um, in Hawthorne hedges, but some of our native wildlife has started had to live in them and use them as protection from predation. So that's really exciting. So ring-tailed possums have been known to, to take up residence in hawthorne hedges. And maybe that's why I've always felt like I've seen more ring-tailed possums up the north of the state. Anyway, so that's just something that I've observed myself. So Hawthorne is not declared an invasive species in Tasmania, but it is in other states. So if depending on where in the world you are, you may like to check where it stands. So for us, uh, it can compete with the understory plants. So it, it gets big enough to block out light and then the understory plants can't survive. And it grows quite, quite readily because birds distribute the seeds in their, in their feces. So, and possums would definitely distribute the seeds in their feces. So, where I live, there's like my my property. There is little hawthorn plants that do pop up, and I haven't decided how I want to handle that. Like whether I I think I have to be really careful about maintaining it. I think I can't live a life without any hawthorn in my life. But uh, we'll see. We certainly are allowed to grow it. But if you if you do have strong feelings towards it potentially being an invasive species or it is marked it is earmarked as an invasive species in your in your area then you'll be able to find it and forage it because like it's certainly abundant just don't put the seeds out or the fruits out for animals to forage to then grow elsewhere like dispose of the the leftover product as best you can yes all right, I'm going to have really extensive show notes at the bottom of this, like it's going to be quite long. And for that reason, I'm not going to say where I've got all my information on during the episode, mostly because I've numbered them rather than put the names in my references. I guess I can look it up. I said that there, I can look it up. Okay. All right. All right, so there's some really cool myths and legends and obviously ancient lore that comes with Hawthorne because it's one of those plants. Okay, so I have just really briefly written notes on different sections. There is so much more information in so much more detail. So there's lots of lots of different tales, lots of different places, lots of different like some of it conflicting. 
uh, which is not surprising with like interpret, uh, which is not surprising with interpretation of things. So, um, yeah, so like just, uh, just when I say this, if you know more about the law, I'm seriously just touching on it or if something really interests you, go out and look into it because there is really good information out there and some really fascinating things. So I've tried to split them up into headings. Some of it kind of repeats, but we'll worry about that later. All right, Merlin. So let's get to some King Arthur myths. So in some versions of the King Arthur story, there is mention of Merlin's tomb being located under a hawthorn tree. You can find an article by uh, Trexler in the notes if you want to know more about that. In another part, another story, so there's a few different stories with Merlin and there are different parts of it, of course, because it's long. Um, a water nymph by the name Vivian traps Merlin in a hawthorn tree where he sleeps until he is needed again. So, so I guess that's kind of like an interesting uh, link for me with the dead um, and which works quite well in terms of my consideration with my ancestral pra- ancestry practice. Like I think there's something there. Like I didn't find a lot about that when I was looking online, but um, I think naturally that's where my heart, it's kind of like with apples. I can't explain it. Um, Christianity. So there's a book by Leslie Gordon called The Mystery and Magic of Trees and Flowers, which references Joseph of Arimathea and his staff made from Hawthorne. So the story goes that Joseph had traveled a long way to Britain and the journey was quite long. So he was quite tired when he got to his resting place. And so he stuck his staff into the ground and he began to pray. Now, in some versions of this story, I saw that he was on his own in others I saw he was with other people and either way the Hawthorne staff took root and began to bud and it grew into a tree which is uh, believed to be the Glastonbury tree I believe yeah so it's uh it's quite it's quite the story um and then in other stories in other references to Jesus in particular uh, is to do with his thorny crown and there were references where I saw that they were saying that it could be Hawthorne to make his thorny crown. Um, I've also heard Acacia. So, uh, yeah, that's – do your research on that one. But apparently this is where the kind of like the, the Christ reference gave a bit of a negative slant to Hawthorne. There's also another one a little bit later, but this is definitely one of them. Okay. So – the little people, fae, fairies, fairy. So Scottish legend says that Hawthorne is a meeting place for fairies. So it's, you know, probably not that surprising that people get abducted by the fae underneath Hawthorne trees. <laughs> so there's a 13th century Scottish ballad by Thomas the Rhymer. And it's about Thomas sitting under the ancient Hawthorne tree when the Queen of Elfland takes him to be his lover for seven years before returning him back to our plane of existence. Of course, then once he came back to this plane, he had been given like gifts of like poetry and singing and, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, so being abducted for seven years came with its gifts as well. Um, So in Wales and parts of Ireland, it's a custom to weave hawthorn crowns for the fae, um, who will then visit the crowns and dance around them at night, which I just think is so beautiful. I need to make more hawthorn crowns. In other fairy lore, um, you know, we we know about Cludy trees. We know that people, you know, tie bits of 
like shells and cloth and trinkets and other kinds of things to hawthorn trees to be in good favour to they're often hawthorn trees um, to be in good favour of the fae and these are often near wells so if you know of a tree that is near a well and you want good favour with the fae that could be an option for you the the holy triad and the ongam so Hawthorn is a sacred plant to us because it is represented as part of the holy triad of or sacred triad of oak, ash and thorn, so Hawthorn. So it's already a pretty sacred plant to us just based on that alone. And then, of course, it also Hawthorn marks the letter H in the traditional Celtic Ongham. I actually have no idea if I'm saying that properly. Okay, vampires is like my favourite bit. Death and vampires. Hawthorne is like one good way to get rid of your vampire problem. So Serbians use wooden stakes made from Hawthorne to kill vampires. Whoop, whoop. While Romani people placed Hawthorne in the socks of the deceased or drove a Hawthorne stake through the legs, ensuring the dead would not rise again. Um, so if you have Hawthorne around you and you have a vampire problem, you might have a solution just putting that out there. It's also, so Hawthorne's also associated with the plague, unfortunately. So some species of Hawthorne will emit, the flowers emit like a decaying meat smell. So this is an olfactory thing for insects to come and pollinate the plants, like to move through the different flowers. Unfortunately, because it smells like decaying meat, it's quite smelly. And during the many plagues that happened over the years in in Britain and France and places like that, the rate that people were dying meant that the bodies couldn't get removed quickly and started to decay and smell. And the association with decaying meat, just to call us meat bags, yeah, was was just too much. So it kind of gave like this really negative association to the to the plant of course there are some that don't smell like decaying meat but yeah so hawthorn can be found like rose hedgerows can be found around graveyards which represent hope so there's also the positive sides with death and also in arabic cultures hawthorn can be used in funeral pyres or certainly in the past they were and i saw a few references that said that hawthorn burnt hot like it was quite a hot wood um, which would have made it really good for for funeral pyres. Um, other things about the wood, it was used to make tools and wares. So, like, um, people created divining rods from wood. It was said that some druids used uh, hawthorn to make staves, and supposedly maypoles are said to be made from hawthorn trees as well. It makes me wonder what people do with – I've never done a maypole – no chaos, I love you, but no. It's also said that the wood has been used for carving combs and making runes. If you want to know more about the combs and runes, you can check out the Hunter reference in the notes, um, Hawthorne History, Folklore, Myth and Magic. Branches would be picked and burned in each field on New Year's Eve morning to ensure a brumper crop, so you've got that kind of protection aspect. And in Ireland, a mass like Catholic mass would sometimes be taken at places where hawthorn trees grew, so like a grove of trees, um, which adds to that kind of spiritual significance of the plant. So a place to commune, and given it's already part of the, ro- the royal trilogy, <laughs> 
the royal trilogy the uh triad the sacred triad i think that's that's really particularly potent as well um so is hawthorne good luck or bad luck so of course there's the unlucky aspects you know us witches we would make our brooms from the wood of hawthorne and on may day could turn ourselves into hawthorne bushes wouldn't that be so fucking cool if you could turn yourself into a hawthorne bush makes me think about the terry brook series uh fictional series um magic kingdom for sale sold and you've got that nymph that can turn into into a willow tree ah i read that book in a really long time um okay but you know you don't have to fear about the those witches trying to come and give you bad luck uh because you can leave hawthorn branches outside your home which will stop witches from coming inside. So I did see some things that said that Hawthorne shouldn't be brought inside, um, but that is bad luck. And that could be because of the witches association or perhaps there's like a fae association there as well. Didn't go digging too deeply. Okay. Protection. So Hawthorne also can protect animals. So making charms from Hawthorne wood could be put in barns to help protect animals and particularly it was said to help prevent lightning strikes so of course fire would have been a massive problem no chaos and then in weddings like in ancient greece hawthorne was held over newlyweds and hawthorne torches lit the way to the marriage chamber bridesmaids were also said to have worn fragrant hawthorne blossoms and then of course we've all heard the term amaying like going amaying and that was when people would just go and uh, find Hawthorne to decorate the halls, so taking it inside so it wasn't always bad luck. And apparently this was a popular Tudor pastime, according to Lawrence's Witch's Garden Plant in Folklore, Magic and Traditional Medicine from the Royal Botanic Gardens Q. Q, K-E-W? Okay. Maybe I'll go visit and then I can learn how to pronounce it. Okay, so traditional and herbal medicine. So I'm not going to go into this too much. Do your research, as I said before. There is some serious health benefits to Hawthorne that also means that can have some really serious uh, side effects. So in the 17th century, herbalist rock star Nicholas Culpepper wrote that the seeds in the berries beaten to powder and then drank in wine are held singularly good against the stone and are good for the droopsy. So stones being kidney stones and droopsy being cardiovascular heart failure, which is fascinating. I have a book by uh, a guy called Castle Man, which I love. If you haven't checked out the book, it's really good. It's called The New Healing Herbs. It's from 2009, so it's not that new. Um, but he points out that that even though uh, Culpepper was already pointing out the benefits for heart issues, um, it wasn't really until the... Eight, like eight, late, late 1800s, so like we're talking 1896, that Hawthorne really started to get prescribed for heart problems, particularly for heart failure and, and angina pain. So in modern day medicine, more modern than 1896, Hawthorne is still being used to help treat cardiovascular and um, ischemic heart disease. And there's certainly some studies that are showing support for the use of Hawthorne in reducing blood pressure and anxiety as well. So the studies with anxiety are 
are still being looked, but it's certainly starting to come up over and over again as a, as a possible treatment. It's also been used to treat diarrhea, heavy menstrual bleeding, and for drawing out splinters. So there's actually a recipe in the in one of my herbal books for making a concoction, and then you just put this hawthorn concoction, concoction on your finger, and it will slowly draw out the splinter for you, which is cool. As I mentioned with the warnings, because it is to do with the heart, it can cause some pretty, pretty big side effects such as dizziness, vertigo, and upset stomachs. Large amounts of hawthorn can cause sedation or significant drop in blood pressure. So you you really don't want to be fucking around with this plant without knowing what you're doing or at least working with a medical professional. So like even a herbalist or a doctor about whether you're going to take it. And if you're certainly taking medicine for heart issues or other blood pressure issues, then um, yeah, make, make sure you you get it done properly because it, it can really fuck things up. And I'm not a trained herbalist. You know, our disclaimer that we put in all our early episodes, um, we're not doctors, we're librarians. This is not something that we're able to advise you on. So do make sure that you do things properly. That's all I'm saying. Okay. So culinary uses, so food, 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 or drink in some cases, we have this really amazing person in Tasmania called Reese Campbell who has a book called Eat More Wild Tasmanian, but it's about like eating wild foods and she does actually include some introduced species and Hawthorne's one of them in her book. So she's got information about some history, but it's mostly like a recipe book. It's about making like food from the plants that are around you. So it's an amazing book, but yes, she has a section on Hawthorne in there. So she says that Hawthorne can add color and mild flavor to recipes and she mentions particularly the young spring or lammas growth of the leaves being used um, and the buds of the leaves even uh, in salads and spring puddings. Historically, historically, the new leaves were known as bread and cheese because it was a food source when food was scarce, like, you know, going into winter and there's not much around. It was eaten like it was, yeah, eaten because there wasn't much else about. And of course, um, the leaves can be used to make teas as well. So I'm kind of curious to know what Hawthorne tea tastes like. Uh, the whole fruit, the berries um, can also be known as haggleberries or pixie pears, which I think is so cute. Um, and they can be frozen and used in preserves. Again, the seeds can be poisonous. So, so yeah, so just be careful about the seeds. I saw that they can, that they contain a poison. I can't remember which one it is now. Uh, so really do your research. Like some of the recipes really talk about straining the seeds out and stuff. So um, before you, so yeah, research before you consume. The flowers are used for syrups, desserts, and liqueurs. So there are a, a bunch of recipes online. One of the most popular ones I've seen is like a uh, like a sauce, like a tomato sauce. <laughs> tomato sauce is not very tomato. A hawthorn berry sauce, kind of like like a ketchup if you're in the US. So hawthorn berry ketchup is one of the recipes I found. You can make cordials. I found this brandy recipe, which is cool. You can make fruit leathers with them, jams, jelly, dipping sauces. There are so many things you can make with it. I guess the dipping sauce is really similar to the berry berry sauce because we say sauce, not ketchup. Uh, okay, so I'll put the links to the to the food sources in the in the notes as well, so that people can can look at them. Yay! Maybe you'd like to make some, so, but certainly 
people in the Northern Hemisphere, you'll have that opportunity at the moment because uh, you're heading into autumn. Well, yes, I was very disappointed. I was in interstate. I was in Victoria and I went to a Starbucks hoping I could try one of their pumpkin spice lattes because I've never had one. And, you know, I was like, oh, it's, people are talking about it online already and I want to know what it's like. And then, uh, yeah, they're not vegan friendly, so I didn't get to try one. Okay, witchcraft, witchcraft. Uh, of course, Cunningham has stuff about um, Hawthorne. I read it. I thought, I don't know. I'm not really sold on Cunningham's books on herb. I feel like things have – it's a great – it was a great start, if you know what I mean, but I feel like there's so much more that people have learned since then or or that it's expanded more since then. So don't just – don't just use Cunningham as your one and only book for looking up magical meanings for herbs. I, I kind of, uh, I don't want to say I hate it because it's such a passion point book, but I just, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's not about Cunningham's books that put me in the wrong space. Anyway, uh, so in astrology, according to Cunningham, Hawthorne is considered masculine and is associated with Mars and the element is fire, which is interesting because it is such a, I don't know. For me, I feel like when I think about Hawthorne, I think about it as being feminine, but that's because I, f I feel like it's a nurturing healing plant rather than a like active go get a plant. But I guess if you have heart disease and it actively fixes your heart disease really quickly, then I guess it would be quite, quite active going. Uh, boundaries and healing. So, so of course, Hawthorne, as I mentioned before, uh, it grown in hedgerows acts as a physical barrier between homes and properties. And that also counts for protection and boundaries within ourselves as well. I saw references to it, you know, being a protector for smaller animals, such as like insects and birds and other mammals from predation. So if you, even though I think that's kind of not, I don't want to say not a thing because it's a thing, obviously it's a thing, but I think it's wider than just small, small animals. So, or Hawthorne energy can be embraced and used if you're feeling the need for shelter and protection and maybe maybe you're in a really vulnerable place and, and you can go get some Hawthorne and put some spell working into that. So the Hawthorne being a physical supporter of the heart also supports the spiritual heart. Hawthorne helps the heart to open to new possibilities, especially after a period of heartbreak, distress or grief. And a lot of this stuff I got from... Cunning Folk, The Magic of Thorns from the Warts and Cunning page, which is one of my most favourite herbal resources, to be honest. Anything that she has to say I find amazing. So, like, particularly around, like, the magical stuff as well as the herbal. Oh, I want to call her an alchemist. That's interesting. So, Hawthorne helps the heart to open to new possibilities, especially after a period of heartbreak, disease or grief. Um, perhaps that's why people put slips of fabric tied to the bush to wear the weight of an illness. So reopening the heart will allow a person to connect with their own power and resilience while allowing us to forgive those who have wronged us. It will also allow us to bring the tools together to express ourselves. So yeah, maybe if you're doing like a, a potion, like a potion, like a tea, a self-love one maybe maybe you would like to add some hawthorn thorn again be really careful know what you're doing uh to it and and see how you're going 
Hawthorne can also help us acknowledge the parts of ourselves that we find difficult recognizing the gifts these crunchy bits bring and to heal those aspects within us. So sit with Hawthorne and meditate to identify those parts of yourself that you need acknowledging and healing. One thing that I really like to do each year is to make at Beltane, and I think I've mentioned this in the the Beltane episode, is make Hawthorne vodka. So we're using the flower blossoms because, of course, that's what's out at the at the time of of Beltane. It's not berries; it's blossoms. It's spring, and so for us, that's in the next month. It'll start happening October, late October, and we can we can make what we, what I call Hawthorne vodka. So essentially, it's just a bottle, of, like a liter bottle of. Um, vodka often I just buy it like 750 ml and then I put in about a cup of hawthorn flowers there is a recipe I can share it's different to the one that I use um, but I, I didn't note down where I got mine from so this one will have to do so uh, so this person says two cups of hawthorn blossoms just roughly it doesn't have to be exact uh, one liter of vodka. This says the cheapest vodka. I only ever use the cheapest vodka because who can afford the expensive stuff? And they also add caster sugar, which I don't do. I, they suggest picking the blossoms uh, on a dry morning, and of course, you know, picking picking blossoms before the sun has risen is really good because it helps maintain its scent and all that kind of stuff. And then put the blossoms um, into the vodka bottle and yeah leave it in a in a dark place I often leave mine on the fridge I never (laughs) same as when I do my fourth ease vinegar recipe I just leave it on the fridge so I see it and then it just you know give it a a shake a couple of times a day so it's the same kind of concept if you listen to that episode so it's just like go in give it a bit of a shake you could make it a magical number you could do it three times if you wanted to it's really just to make sure things are still moving in there. One of the things that is probably a little bit shocking is that the vodka goes brown and the petals brown as well because it's in alcohol and it's fine. And then at the end, you just strain it out anyway, so it's not really an issue. Uh, these guys suggest leaving it for two to three weeks. I would go three just to give it that magical number and 21 days. just sounds really nice. Then, yeah, and then it, you can drink it essentially. Um, I actually use it for offerings mostly for the spirits not so much my ancestors I have been known to give them some but generally it's it's more for like um I want to say land spirits some of the land spirits really don't like alcohol so but yeah like for my deities yeah just like if I need to give something like something with a bit of heart or a bit of you know it's part of the Beltane ritual that I do this so you know like the energies of the season and the fire and the passion and the yeah just just embracing all of that like new growth coming forth and life you know being abundant and 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 of course it's got the protective aspects as well so like you can use it in your floor washers you can use it in so many different aspects of of your magic essentially uh i have used it to like if i make not mojo bags what are they called i guess they're mojo bags like little bags charm bags and stuff i've known to like use the Hawthorne vodka as a thing to feed the pouch it just things like that so there's like just so many things that you can do with it you can I kind of wonder if you could use Hawthorne vodka to 
to, well, of course, drink and make salads and do kitchen witchery and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of what you want to do with it. I actually find that if you're going to make well, it depends on what your your spell work practices like and your your house like not hygiene but like magical house hygiene is like like whether you you know mark your window frames regularly or um you know you you do do like a monthly cleaning like you may not go through a big bowl of vodka in a year I know I certainly prefer to split it with other people um yeah so just something to think about yeah so that's that's pretty much Hawthorne it's um a very diverse and yeah so you can definitely do some really cool shit with it and it's really accessible and it can be found in most most places if it is an invasive weed like in Victoria it's a massively invasive weed you know you might have some issues but generally you can find it pretty readily so that's it and uh, let me know what you use Hawthorne for. Like, do you eat it for starters? Do you use it medicinally? Do you, how do you use it in magic? Because, like, I'm sure that I've only done the tip of the iceberg, particularly since I haven't been really that well to do some really in-depth observation, observation research. And yeah, like, and if you want to, please reach out to us. We love hearing from you. I know we say it all the time, but we really do. It kind of gives us that feeling that, you know, we're in this really cool community and people that are that are out there and, and are interested in what we have to say or not interested in what we have to say. I don't know. Why do you listen? So if you do want to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at witchy.bytes. You can find us on Facebook at Witchy Bites Podcast. You can email us at witchy.bites at outlook.com. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed and uh, we'll both catch you at the next one. Um, we're super hoping it's going to be an interview. So, all right. Bye. Bye.